0: I felt like great, lots of action, lots of Western on the road stuff, lots of riding horses and shooting guns. Not enough librarianship. (laughs) (sighs) If only we could take our love of reading to a new level.
1: Well, I've always wanted to start a book club. Book club! For masochists
2: and other deviants.
1: Hello and welcome to the Book Club for Masochists, where we read and discuss all the genres and types of literature, regardless of our actual interest in them.
3: Every month we read books from a new, randomly picked genre. Then on the podcast we discuss our reading choices, experiences, opinions, appeal factors, and other related topics as friends and library workers.
1: It's episode 183, and that means it's time for our One Book One podcast episode, where we will discuss the novella Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey.
0: My name is Jam. I'm a librarian in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is located on the traditional ancestral and unceded land of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh,
2: and Stolo people. My name is Matthew. I'm a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA.
1: My name is Anna, and I am also a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA, which is the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations and peoples.
3: My name is Megan. I am an archivist in the National Capital Region of Canada. I live and work on the unceded traditional territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe.
2: Heidi, are you going to introduce yourself?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heidi and yeah, Heidi's right here. Ernest is behind the screen. They are like just being real shitty this week.
2: <laughs> so announcements. As with every episode, we have a book list of titles by BIPOC authors, Black, Indigenous, people of color authors. Um, This one, since we're not covering a genre, uh, we have a retrospective book list covering a genre that we covered uh, before we started making these book lists. Um, So this episode, uh, kind of a strange one in some ways, um, is that the retrospective genre is, I believe, was originally uh, Nordic and Scandinavian noir, uh, which we've struggled to find many uh, BIPOC authors. Um, that fit specifically into that genre. However, uh, we do have a list of noir fiction by BIPOC authors that you can find on our website and in the show notes for this episode.
0: Yes. And specifically, uh, that list will include lots of international authors. I did find a few Nordic Scandinavian area uh, noir uh, books by by indigenous and uh, people of color authors, but uh, it will be more more international than that. Uh, noir fiction from around the world by BIPOC authors.
2: There are some really great um, collections and stuff of, of stuff that collects noir from other countries, which are really cool to see. Mm-hmm. So this is the one time a year we're a real book club.
1: <laughs> we're always a real book club.
2: Try to explain what we do to people that do not listen to the podcast.
1: This is the time we're a normal
0: book club. Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. That's yeah. We're a normal book club. A normative book club
0: where we all read the same book.
3: <laughs> it's about the only normal thing about it
2: <laughs> The context for this is that every year we do read one book, but we also uh, choose we the book that just we read. One? yes, every year when the, we read one book, <laughs> every year for this episode, the one book, one podcast episode, we have a battle of the books beforehand, um in which each of us suggests a title um, that we think all of us would like to read a title that none of us have read before. Um, and then our listeners get to vote on um, which one they would like us to hear us discuss. And this year the winner was "Upright Women Wanted." Um, so that is how it was chosen. Uh, so even when we are being a normal book club, we're not being a normal book club because uh, we're not choosing the book that we read I ultimately.
1: Mean, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. They, generally speaking, book clubs are not having other people not directly involved in the book club vote on which books they should read in their book club. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the question of has anybody read things by Sarah Gailey before? Which I have not. I've meant to, and I never have.
2: I've probably read a tweet or something by them at some point. That (laughs) seems like something I would have read by them. Like, I think they're on Twitter, or we're on Twitter. So Megan uh, and or Jam, have either of you read any books by or fiction or tweets by Sarah Gailey before? Blog posts?
3: I read the um, Hippo Heist duology River of Teeth and whatever the sequel was. So they're both novella length, um, queer infused alternative history type stories.
0: Um, I don't think that I have, I was just pulling up their bibliography to see if there were maybe any short stories that I have read, but but I definitely have not read any novels or novellas by, by them before.
1: I have not read anything um but i have i own one book by them because i've been meaning to read it which is magic for liars so that has been on my list for a while to read and i have a copy of it it's a very cool looking cover it's very noticeable matthew recognized it right away and pointed at it as soon as it showed up on the screen of like images of books because it's a very recognizable red co- cover but uh i have not read it yet
2: I, I guess the question is has it gone to the top of your to read pile after this month
1: I mean, uh, that's such a complicated question. (laughs) My read pile is. Anna does not
2: have one to read pile. No. The the answer to this.
1: (laughs) That is like, that, that question works for other people. It doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't have a, like, my Matthew right now has been like, do we need to buy you another special shelf set for the bedroom just so you can put all the books that are stacked? on top of each other, on your bedside table, onto an actual shelf within, like, visual distance of you, which might be a good idea, because I think there's about 12 of them now. <laughs> I was
2: going to say 10, so I'm, I'm underestimating a 10.
3: <laughs> when I lived alone, I used to organize my two red as, like, the other half of my bed. I would have separate piles across from it, and Benno went away for a couple days, and he
1: came back and
3: said, I have been supplanted by the books, and I was
1: like, eh, well, <laughs> Yeah. But that that is the other problem is like if you're gone long enough, there is a fair chance that books will get left in the bed <laughs> on your side of the bed. So just you know, fair warning.
2: <laughs> long enough is like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so Jam, you selected this book originally as the one um, you suggested it for us. Do you want to give a plot description of it and maybe mention why you wanted us to read it as well?
1: Uh, sure, I can try. Yeah, this is the non spoilery spoilery section. We will very quickly get into full on spoilerage in here. So, quick note: if anybody does want to read this from shortly after this moment on, you should pause, go read it. It's very, sh- it's brief. You can read it very quickly. Get it and go read it if you want to before you listen further. Yes. So the the
0: brief uh, non spoilery plot summary to the best of my ability i just finished full disclosure i just finished reading this uh about five minutes before i logged on to the call <laughs> um so so the ending is most in my mind but uh upright women wanted by sarah gailey uh is a sort of dystopian western uh it is uh, about primarily about a uh, a woman named Esther who has run away from her hometown uh, and has stowed away with the librarians who are a group who have a, a wagon and go from town to town distributing uh, approved materials uh, for entertainment and information uh, approved by the state and. Esther uh, initially wants to to join them and and you know sells tries to sell like, you know, I just love distributing approved materials from the state and I'm so dedicated to this important mission. Um and then eventually it it they uh draw out from from her that she is running away from a bad situation back home, um, where she had been in a relationship with uh, I don't think it's too spoilery to say but a relationship with another woman uh, woman that ended very badly. Um
2: I believe this is on page 1 of the book so I think you can go ahead and spoil it.
0: <laughs> yes, this is all this is all first chapter stuff. Um yeah, uh had, was in a relationship with a woman who was caught with unapproved materials uh and and hanged and uh, is is looking to uh, escape a uh, marriage that she was going to be uh, forced into after, after that transpired and uh, saw the librarians as, as a, a way to escape uh, and ends up finding there uh, there a little bit more than, than she thought than just a, a way to escape an approved marriage. Uh, ends up finding out a lot about the world through her, her time with them.
1: That's a good non spoilery way of getting around the the rest of that.
2: And now for the spoilers.
1: Yep. This is it. <laughs> Last morning. So, so the we're...
2: dinosaur. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: the alien robots. <laughs> You're joking. So there's there's not a dinosaur alien robots. Though I did struggle a little bit um not struggle, but was was curious that I could not really pinpoint when this is supposed to be. Like clearly this resembles
2: I would say this is like the future or a parallel present. But I would say the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. Either future or parallel present. Um, but like, yeah, they're like Utah. Utah is a thing, for example. Um, but uh, in terms of like technology, there's not much um, like it seems like there's been an energy crisis, like there's references to diesel, which is like very, very rare. It's, it's a little bit of a Mad Max world, but more Wild West than Australian
2: Outback. There's also latex gloves and various medical machinery that uses electricity. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and references to like a a road system that used to be like solidly paved, Mm. but is now broken down into like, you know, untraversable pothole ridden, you know, chaos and, and they're kind of dealing with those spaces as being to what degree usable or maintainable.
0: Yeah, there there were cars at some point, um, but there are not any cars in this story. That's another difference between this and Mad Max. Um, <laughs> there's there's not cars. It's it's all horses. Uh, one of the pull quotes refers to it as a horse opera, <laughs> which was a term I had not heard
2: before.
1: I'm not sure I would have said that.
2: No, that that's a term I've heard for like types of Westerns.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Really? What types of Westerns?
2: Do not ask me to define this term.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. We're just gonna put
0: it on the list, right? No. What <laughs> horse opera? Horse opera. <laughs> uh,
2: we do have to add weird western as a genre, though.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not mad about that.
2: <laughs> uh, a horse opera is a western film or television series that is clichéd or formulaic in the manner of uh, soap opera or space opera. It says Wikipedia. Okay, well, I, th- I so yeah, I think it rep- it does generally refer more to movies and TV shows. Than it does to 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 fiction to mm. prose books, um, and I think it's it's very easy for us to forget just how prevalent Western movies and TV shows were. Um, mm. They were everywhere. It, it's like superhero shows and movies right now. I would say, like even even more so potentially, um, but they left. At this point, like very little cultural impact. you know, like people know like the big ones, but like don't know that like there were seasons upon seasons of these things and people don't watch them anymore.
1: or people don't know the where the cultural impact came from mm-hmm. that that is where some things, you know that we would recognize as just culturally common um, references today that we would know came out of the sheer popularity of westerns at some point in at least in American culture Mm -hmm. yeah
2: (laughs) well even then you do have spaghetti western yes italy
1: right and that did have impact Mm -hmm. elsewhere but yeah i watched once upon a time in
3: hollywood that tarantino film recently i mistakenly thought it was once upon a time in mexico complete other story but yeah there's a lot of western stuff in that movie
2: if you'd like to know more about our opinions in westerns you can listen to episode xx where we talk about westerns i don't remember what episode that was
0: not not my opinions because i wasn't there for that one
2: (laughs) my opinions
1: (laughs) yeah matthew did surprisingly well with the western episode i i
2: i still that is the episode i always pull out as people like what what have you enjoyed that you did not think you would enjoy as the westerns i read two western novels i really enjoyed that month which ones you'll have to go listen to the episode to find out
0: Um, so do we want to give a more, a more spoiler, spoiler full recap now of the rest of, of what transpires, or at least, you know, broadly?
1: Sure. Go for it. Just do it. Yes. Esther, uh,
0: meets these, Esther's way and meets these, these librarians, uh, Bette and Lita, the, the two librarians. Lita or Letta? How did people?
1: Oh, I was going Lita, but yeah, I don't know.
0: L-E-D-A. Yeah. Uh, Bette and Lita, uh, the two librarians, um, who are... Two women in a couple, um, and Sai, uh, who is a non-binary person uh, out on the road, um, is is a a woman as far as anyone's concerned when she is in town, but is they them strictly uh, on, on the road, so. Uh, queer all yes, all the librarians are queer um, and uh, not uh, revealing that to to most of the folks they work with um, but the the life on the road uh, gives them some amount of freedom and they also do these jobs for for folks uh, who who need help outside of state parameters uh, and uh, end up picking up. Um, some folks to transport them to Utah where this this rebellion stronghold is uh, and get into some trouble. I won't go into all the details. Um, things are revealed. If people want to spoil, spoil those details to talk about them, they can. But um, suffice to say, uh, ends up realizing that there is uh, more, more – Life for a, a person um, for for queer people um, than than she thought there was, and um, ends up going from a like a daughter of a state official who's quite sort of sheltered and and very self hating about you know having feelings for another woman and and feeling like she deserves uh, very little out of life uh, to being uh, a a rebellious. Um, Person who who wants to to help other people like her who feel isolated and and afraid.
2: And ride horses.
0: And ride horses. There's a lot of horses. There's a lot of horse riding. Can I tell you an extremely uh, nerdy thought I had about this book today as I was reflecting about my feelings about it? Mm -hmm. It's really tempting to say no, but... (laughs) (laughs) I felt like... Great. Lots of action, lots of Western on the road stuff, lots of riding horses and shooting guns. Not enough librarianship.
2: That is one of my major criticisms of this book.
0: Not enough librarianing, but I also feel that way about pretty much any book with a character who's a librarian. <laughs> it's like they spend so little time. It always seems like the author has a pretty vague idea about what people who work in libraries do. Um, but it seems a pretty central piece of this one. And there's some freedom that that Sarah Gailey has um, by virtue of the fact that they're writing about a. a, a world where librarianship looks very different. You know, it's, um, more of a, a delivery person, um, kind of role. And, uh, but yeah, I, I do wish we saw some more like working with materials and. (laughs) There was that
3: tiny, tiny bit where Esther is fixing the books Mm -hmm. and they're like, we didn't, we didn't really mean that. That was a joke, Mm -hmm. but that's great that you can fix the books. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, I will say, like, it does only cover a very short period of time. And I was actually curious, like, how long people thought this was, but it's a, it's a pretty short period of time. It's not long. Um, so they don't have much time to do very much librarianing in there, but they do only make, like, one stop in which there are materials exchanged even in my memory. Yeah. Yeah. So like they don't even do like multiple stops during this like process. Most of it is like them running <laughs> from things or being chased or trying to get their package delivered.
2: So you're saying this is a thriller because they're running.
1: About. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, if you're on a
0: horse it's a western. <laughs> it's a horse opera. <laughs>
3: Well, I guess it's not formulaic, so it's not an opera.
0: No,
1: not really.
2: One thing I will say is, Jam, you tricked us into reading a young adult novel.
0: It's true. It's true. Uh, I'm looking at my copy, and it's not labeled YA, so I mean... It should be. I had the same feels. It's very much a a crossover hit. I was wondering, like, I have not read a Sarah Gailey novel before, and this felt very, like, like breezy, quick read, and I didn't know how much of that was... um, like emulating the sort of pulp like style um, or if that is just their regular writing style.
3: Like the only other one that I've read was in the same kind of format. It's a novella length and very plot heavy. Like they're trying to pull off a heist. So it's fairly light on some of the other details you might expect from a full length novel. It's like really like, Doing the thing and backstabbing and whatever. So the, the they've written such a, a range of stuff, though. Like I think the there's the magic fantasy one that Anna
1: has, magic for liars.
3: Yeah, and then there's the Echo Wife, which I think is more of a sci-fi horror thing. Um, so there's there's a range of of content out there. That might be different from these two, which felt much more more light and breezy, as you say, Jim.
1: Yeah, I was assuming some of that was also because of the novella format, because it is very, like, it's it's very plot heavy. It's very fast moving. There's not, there is a very strong suggestion of the world and the world building, but very little is directly seen or built out in ways that like some of it is like big gaps where I'm like, I'm not sure I follow the logic of this, but okay. You also don't have time or space in this like short focused little, like this very direct slice of experience that you're giving to unpack some of those pieces. But I wasn't sure how much of that was the novella format, how much of it was sort of the like degree to which this is kind of YA or their general style. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I'm curious, you, you, since you all mentioned that it read like YA to you, how old did you read Esther as? Because I, I had a moment where I realized I had no idea how old anybody was. And Esther could have been like 17 or like 35.
2: 15. Because she seemed very naive in many ways in her thoughts and actions. It did not say she ever had a job or anything that she did. Um, and that she had was being married to somebody, to a man, um, which to me in the very kind of like fascist extremist, like Christo fascist world they seem to be living in, um, I can't imagine they would wait until 35 to marry somebody off.
1: Sure.
3: She did feel teens to me. I wouldn't have been able to say like 15 or 18 if you're that sheltered. By your world, I feel like you could be older and still be unexperienced if you're as sheltered as Esther seemed to be,
1: yeah, I had a similar reading to you where I wasn't sure i i felt teens, but I wasn't sure where in teens um I didn't really expect them to have uh, like worked in any way but to but that piece about like being married off. And they seem to only be pulling on experiences where they were talking about being in their father's household and things like that, where I, I was thinking, I don't think that they are, you know, maybe even eight, I don't even know that I could say they would be 18. But I really agree with you, Jam, that I could not, I was like, I have no idea how old any of these people are whatsoever.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. At the end, some of the characters like retire. And I'm like, I thought they were in their, like, 30s. I know. And then they're, like, apparently, like, at least 50-something, I guess. Like, it was not obvious at all.
0: Well, I also think that, like, they're like, oh, we're close to retiring age. And at that, I was like, maybe they're in their, like, late 30s, early 40s because it's a very physical job that they do. Um, But I don't know. I think if I had to put a a pin in Esther's age, I would go early 20s, like, 21, 22.
2: Wow. Really?
0: Yes, because I think like I've, I'm I'm going to dismiss the points that you made about her not having a job, um, because I don't think this is a world where women have jobs. Uh, if you're not a librarian, I think this is a very like sexo sexo sexist. I was going to say fascio sexist or something, but I ended up saying sexo. <laughs> Um, Sexist, fascist uh, world where – and her her father is like a, you know, high-ranking person um, in in her hometown. And so I imagine she had a, a, you know, fairly sheltered, privileged life and was – I just expected to get married at some point, you know, was was doing housekeeping and cooking, but...
3: I know, but 21 feels
1: old.
2: That seems really old for the type of world they're in. I do not believe they would let her wait that long. Maybe. Maybe.
1: I was thinking about that in terms of her father and his role, where I could see her being able to get away with being a little bit older before being married off because of the privilege of her role. Right. But then also being valuable and therefore... At the moment at which her value is potentially at risk, which would be the moment at which she is in some way connected to a person who has been hung for having, you know, treasonous materials, uh, it's really important to get her married off ASAP and thus the, like, get her married off to this, who whatever his name was, Silas, I think, or something, um, person.
2: Yeah. Like, this – my thinking the character was so young, made me really dislike the scene at the end of the book. Um, where she kissed Cy, the other character, who seemed to be, in my eyes, in their 20s. Um, and I'm like, I do not like this implied age gap romance um, that seems to be between a like, teenager and an adult, which I've, I never enjoy those.
3: I mean, even if the ages are different, the positions are different. Very much so. Because Cy becomes head librarian and Esther is then... Assistant librarian.
2: Don't date your boss.
3: <laughs> yeah. And maybe it doesn't end up being romance, but anyway, that strikes me as a little
0: hee. <laughs> I feel like applying that to this world is ludicrous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I felt I feel a little bit of that too. I was not as put off by the potential age gap that seemed to be there because I, it's just like I would expect that to happen in a lot of relationships in this kind of space um, because probably lifespans are shorter. Death is more right there and at any moment. And you're just trying to like keep a community rolling. And sometimes that's going to not work with our current norms about how much an age gap should be in these relationships. And that's going to become normative. And then that's going to, you know, create spaces for these relationships to exist in more healthy ways but also like i do agree a little bit around it just seems uh, weird to be on the road with somebody who is also sort of the person telling you what to do but also you're in a relationship potentially or maybe or there's like i i like it's fine that's totally fine that's a thing that can happen it's fine for the characters i just don't want to be there (laughs) it was a very intense crush going on there
0: if they were on a spaceship and they're and this was the captain of the ship, they got promoted to captain of the ship, and the stowaway had a romance with them. Would you have a problem with it because like you shouldn't date your boss, or is it because they're librarians specifically that we're like you can't date the head librarian?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they got promoted to captain
0: captain and the stowaway became first mate, that's still a little weird, isn't it? I suppose. What if they're the what if they're the only two people on the ship? <laughs>
1: I love that this is the thing that we have gotten, like, riled up into a discussion about.
2: <laughs> like, I think that there's a secondary aspect of this, um, which I saw someone mention online in a review, which I think is valid, which is that um, Esther is not in a good mental space to be entering a relationship, considering her last – like, I don't know how involved she was with the her quote-unquote best friend, but, like, That person just got killed, like, less than two weeks ago.
0: It it does develop very fast.
2: And so I think that there's, like, a power dynamic issue there where Sai is taking advantage of Esther.
3: I don't know that Sai is taking advantage of Esther.
2: I don't know if they're purposefully taking advantage of them, but I think they're taking advantage of them.
1: So I am willing to give it more leeway because I don't – I feel like it's more like a fable in a lot of ways it doesn't quite feel like it's set in a grounded reality even for its own reality there's a certain degree to which as much trauma as she has been through um in terms of like it it did say like they had been together for a year that's a significant relationship in your life especially if you're on the younger side even if you're in your 20s like that's a significant component there especially if that's the only relationship she's had and then she's literally stared this person in the face while they were hung like this is not a week later you're like rip-roaring to go in another relationship even if it's just exploratory without having a lot of things to deal with and those don't have space in this book because it is a novella to fully develop which is not to say that this author isn't aware of that it's just that they didn't, were, didn't have the space to give that to grow while well, they wanted to explore other aspects of this character in the story. So I redid a little bit more like a fable than or, a real relationship per se.
2: Or maybe even more than a, a fable, a fairy tale that needs to have a happy ending.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
2: And your your character going, okay, so now I need to go to therapy for the next like right, several exactly.
1: years.
2: <laughs> not exactly the ending that people are going to want from this book probably.
3: Right. I mean, it's not even really clear that they do become – no in a relationship it's just like an enthusiastic moment and is the right of a lot of tension in a lot of different spaces
0: yeah i think yeah it is it is a little bit idealized the grief is a little bit like just sort of uh not not very deeply explored um but i think that totally makes sense for this kind of like action-oriented story um and and uh yeah, I think it will not be for everyone uh, there, there will be some people who who encounter those things it will be like your your girlfriend just died. What are you doing? <laughs> um, um, but uh, it, it didn't I it didn't bother me that much I, It felt more like I was watching a movie and just like it's like we gotta get it all in like <laughs> we only have we only have a couple acts here
1: yeah mm-hmm. I I feel like that too. And, and to that degree, I was fine with it other than the general experience that I had where I was like, I kept wanting it to not just be a novella. I was like, this is not – not that this is bad, but it's good in a way that I want to see it fleshed out where I feel like I can – um, sit with these characters and their emotions and their situations. I want to sit with this world and understand how some of this functions. Like, what, what was the structure of the librarians? I'm like, is this an organization? Are there people in, inter- who's giving them the materials? Where's it coming from? How are they able to both be both sides at the same time? I don't, what? Are
2: there, there non queer librarians?
1: <laughs> yes. Are there non queer librarians? Like, I don't, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I did want uh when i said there was like not enough librarianing i did want a little bit more about like you know how does this work how did they sign up to they couldn't all be stowaways that were running away from arranged marriages <laughs> like how did all of these queer people end up being librarians like what is the process like is there like a state recruitment process and then like a recruitment process where
2: yeah because they are official government agents that have like um, status within the society to go around sharing and providing access to official government material. And yet they are also, all of the ones that we are exposed to in this book are members of like a covert, um, what was the term they used? Was it like rebel? It wasn't rebels, but it was some other term like that.
0: Resistance or-
2: resistance. Yeah. Who are like, who are organized in resisting against the government. And I'm like, so how, like, it's not every, is it every librarian? Plus they
1: introduced this lovely little Galahad figure that is not further explored. So I kept thinking like, was there, were they going to do another book after this that just hasn't happened? And they were planning on like building that out in some way because that feels like it was just thrown in at the end, made to sound really interesting and then so under fleshed out that I was like, but wait, there's clearly an intention for a story to be told here and there's nothing there. I read a
3: a review in smart bitches, trashy books, where they were like, this feels like a prequel to a fully fleshed out series, and I look forward to seeing the series. And I was like, oh... If there only was a series that fully fleshed out all of these things, but alas, as far as I know, there is not.
0: I would love, and it does feel like it is well suited for just uh, Sarah Gailey to release more novellas in this world from like from different characters from different times. We can flash forward and see Cy and Esther a year later, and maybe. The relationship has has is in a totally different phase, which would be really interesting to to read. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, we could learn more about Amity. We could learn more about
1: those two characters that are the package that I was like, I can't even remember their names yet. Yeah. Trace and I don't know. Trace and the
0: other person. Yeah, that's exactly what I got. <laughs> I don't think they have a line of dialogue.
3: But they're also supposed to be like a thruple. And I was like, how did you not know
0: that you were with the super secret assassin? I think the thruple thing was a cover. Oh, but they had to let them know that
3: the assassin lady was something.
1: Yeah, I think they they were helping her get away probably more on the basis of like you are a queer person too as opposed to i know you're an assassin sort of thing
2: yeah this leads into one of my other problems with this book this is a very american book in many ways as well um and i am not american even though i live in america and i do not have a full context, like understanding of context of various american things however the place where they're going to escape persecution and be queer is utah which is so interesting. <laughs> like, not not Nevada, not California, Utah. That doesn't, that words weird to me.
1: I mean, the world's
0: just
2: different.
1: So much is suggested, and I'm just like, well, that's an interesting story, but how? And, like, why that place? And, like, give me some way of understanding that component, but it wasn't there. This is the thing that I kept thinking in there. I'm like, I, it's still, it's a, it's, a well put together. It moves very quickly. Things make sense. Characters, if they are given identity, have a clear identity. <laughs> Other than the, the, you know, that two that I've like, can't even remember their names. Um, like that all worked well, except I was constantly thinking like, but why, but why, but why, but why, but why, but why? I think when I, if I reframed it to
3: less of a story of, A dystopia Western and more of a queer person realizing that they are allowed to have a a happy life. It kind of made more sense to me because I was looking for things that I don't think the story was necessarily about primarily. It was really about Aster deprogramming herself, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read a, an interesting um, essay article by Sarah Gailey, Between the Coats, A Sensitivity Read Changed My Life, an essay by Sarah Gailey. This is a, a 2018 article, so before this book came out, and it's about how they wrote a story, a queer story, it ended in tragedy, and someone said, you know queer people are allowed to have happy stories. And so, um, connecting those two thoughts together really changed how I viewed this particular story. Like, how do we, uh, what is it like when you grow up in an environment that's so closed and you don't see any examples in which you get to be yourself, how you feel inside? Because everybody has told you that way lies to death and ruin and terribleness. And so you're sort of expecting either you live a life of the, the imagined librarian nun that Esther is chasing after, or you die a horrible death like you saw your best friend do in front of you. And so this is a story of her discovering that she can be a person, a whole person, and accept these parts of her that she thought was going to end in, in terribleness, because this is the story that she's been told all the time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's why I kept thinking of it more as like a fable um, in a way, is because it's not really about the rest of the world. That's all interesting world building that's going on. But it is really about Esther and this tiny slice and moment in which Esther is coming to terms with her potential future and the the fact that she does have a potential future to be explored. Um, So like, yes, I agree. I think that that is the core of this. Um, It's just like not, maybe that is not the thing that I potentially, uh, prefer to read in such as I should have prepped myself going into it for that. I think I would have liked it more if I had come in really thinking about the fact that this is a novella and understanding that it was going, to, that it was going to be written as thin on certain details as it was would have helped me like, like you, the perspective that you brought. Megan, I think all of that would have helped me to really appreciate what it was doing more instead of sitting there being like, but why? But why? But why? When that was not (laughs) productive, that was not
3: helpful. (laughs) That's how I read the book too. I was like, okay, but I feel like I didn't get out of the story what I thought I was going to get out of it. Like, what am I missing?
1: Yeah.
2: It, (laughs) It clearly like, it needs like a very obvious subtitle of just like a queer coming of age fable.
0: Did you all read the acknowledgments at the end?
2: Yeah, I
1: did.
0: Yeah, the so the the second page of the acknowledgments in particular, um, I feel like are the um, are are you know they're acknowledgments, but they're also sort of an afterwards uh, um, where Sarah Gailey writes like I owe this book uh, and my life to my queer community uh for for people who think that all is lost if they can't find a way to bury the person who they are, this is for you, this is for all of you um it's it's very much like an explicit, you know um it's you know, somebody was this person for me like I thought there was no place in the world for me um and I wrote this book um to, uh, pass along <laughs> the word that I heard from other queer people that there is a place in the world for us and there's a place in the world for you.
1: In some ways, I wish that I had read that at the very beginning. That actually would have set me into a really good mindset to appreciate what was going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, because it actually also, I flipped ahead partway through the book and read that acknowledgement just because I was like sitting there and flipping around with the book. And I happened to open it up to that page and read that exact page. And it reframed the second Part of the book then for me as I was reading it, where I was way more aware of her going through these thought processes where she is resituating things that So what it really made me super aware of is that um, dark space that you can get into where you are telling yourself that you are worthless, that you bring nothing but destruction, that you are, like, which is a space that people can get into for a lot of reasons. It doesn't just even have to be this reason of, like, um, queer identity being denied or things like that. Like, there's all sorts of reasons you can end up in that space, and it is a very difficult space to get out of. It's a very destructive space to be in. Um, And it made me very aware of that and the degree to which sarah gailey was you know really working on presenting a way for somebody to walk through that space
0: productively i keep looking at the library of congress subject headings for this book and they're so lackluster
2: is it like horses (laughs) horses fiction (laughs) no
0: it is there's two so there's arranged marriage fiction and suspense fiction
2: what? Yeah, what? definitely needs horses. Fiction.
0: What? It needs to be ho- horse opera. Fiction. Queer queer
1: self-love.
0: <laughs> fiction.
1: <laughs> like, arranged marriage isn't even barely a thing that she even spends time. Like, she barely addresses it.
0: Yeah, that's mentioned in the first chapter. I did not remember that until, like, at the very end. I, I like, went back to the beginning to to read uh, something about Beatriz because I had forgotten that she had unapproved materials and that's the thing that she was officially charged with. And so I was like, Oh yeah, what did she have? And she had a pamphlet about Utah.
2: <laughs> so the, the way you've described it, like a pop, a pamphlet, but Utah visit scenic Utah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Beautiful Provo. <laughs> she had visit scenic Utah and that's not allowed. Um, But then it referred to her father, whatever his name is, Victor or something, and then silas and i was like who the f is silas and it refers to silas again later in the text and i just assumed that was her dad because i forgot that any other male character had been introduced anywhere in the book
1: oh yeah (laughs) completely forgot yeah that point when she uses silas as the name of that horse i was like oh yeah that was the name of the guy oh i'd forgotten that entirely (laughs) because that's like the only other time it comes up
2: there are other men in the book they were just all killed yeah, true.
0: Well, there was that one, uh, like, border patrol guy who doesn't get killed. On page. <laughs> <laughs> Later, eventually, somewhere.
1: The doctor, I believe, is male. Oh, the doctor, yeah. Yeah, the doctor, I believe, was male. The
0: doctor. Uh, I ended up doing uh, a very nerdy thing towards the end while while reading this, which was that there were a few characters in my mind that I was like, Casting with actors, but I didn't have someone for everyone. And so then towards the end, I was like, you know who I have, like, uh, an, <laughs> the pool of people is not Hollywood actors. But if I use, um, like, internet tabletop role players, I have somebody for everybody in this cast. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was going to say like don't mention any actors because none of us will know who they are.
0: Yeah, I don't know their names. I like there's I was like that one lady from Walking Dead <laughs> for Bet. but I don't know who what her name is.
2: There's only one lady in Walking
0: Dead. <laughs> you haven't watched Walking Dead. I don't know. You know.
2: <laughs> there's so many series of it. There's so many episodes.
0: It doesn't matter. She wasn't my final pick. Uh, my final pick was. Um, oh, now I don't remember her name it's Christina from Dimension 20. Um, uh, Becca Scott for Esther uh, and Erica Ishii for Psy.
2: Becca Scott seems too old to me.
0: Everyone's too old. I don't know any young people.
1: Like, <laughs> that's what I was thinking was my big problem. I haven't got a clue who the youngs are as like actors or anything these days. So I'm like, I don't know. The youngs.
0: The youngs.
2: Anyway, we're, we're also like. Yes, three degrees of separation to Becca Scott. So
0: it's that's yeah, it's true. Which means we're also uh, going to be no more than a few degrees of separation from anyone else I can mention. True. Um, yeah. a, a, a Brian is uh, uh, Amity. I think she would do great. Doesn't this is just for me?
2: <laughs> we'll link to some things in the show notes that have these people in them.
3: <laughs> if you had a sequel to this book, whose story would you want it to focus on first? Would you want, like, backstory for, um, Bev and Letta, or would you want, like, future story,
1: or something else entirely? Can someone tell me the name of that other person besides Trace? Trace and...
0: Genevieve.
1: Genevieve. Genevieve and Trace. Jen, I believe they they put it at, at one point, and... I am so offended by the fact that they were in so much of this book and had no characterization, no sense of who they are, no backstory, no like nothing. They were literally just like a stick package. figures. Yes, they were a package. One, one of them had red hair. One of them had red hair. I I think they laughed at some point, but I don't. Like that's I'm like I want a book for them because I'm so offended by how little of them was here. <laughs>
0: And I feel like most of the things that could have characterized them were mostly just characterizing Amity in contrast. Like, I only remember they laughed because it was like they were laughing and having a good time. Amity never smiled or something. Yeah,
3: it's true. I'd be more interested in, um, like, backstory on how Bev and and Letta became librarians. In the first place, like how did that end up? Did they were they like good, upstanding librarians cu- giving out approved material, and then, you know, they came across the the resistance, or were they part of the resistance and tried to, to try to infiltrate the librarian sisterhood?
2: Let's be honest. What we actually want is we want to read the librarian guidebook that they give out to people
0: yes yes yeah
2: it, like a flip book in which one side is the official government one and the other side is like the the resistance one
0: yeah i want both oh yeah i want to read the official state one and i also want the like yeah the
2: underground like
1: that would be great i would love a book you could flip you know one way at one side flip it over get both versions
2: we are such fucking nerds like <laughs> holy shit
1: i think i'd be disappointed if we weren't
0: <laughs> I I I had that thought earlier today where I was like, not enough librarianing in this book. And I was like, that's a nerdy thought. And then I was like, they're all gonna agree with me. <laughs> you know, that's that's the nice thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I am appreciative though, still that both you, Jam, and our audience selected for us something short. <laughs> so Yes. Short and still enjoyable to read.
0: I don't think I ever actually said why I uh, nominated this one. I guess I probably talked about it in our, our battle of the books episode, but uh, yeah, the short is definitely a, a uh, appeal factor. Uh, uh, But yeah, a a book, it's a book about queer librarians, you know, (laughs) and it delivered. I mean, it delivered on the queer front quite a bit. The librarianship front, we have questions about (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's what happens when your librarian book ends up on a all-librarian podcast. <laughs> we have questions.
2: We're, yeah, where we literally just want like, the instruction manual. Yeah. Like, that's actually what we want, yeah. There was no way this book was going to satisfy us on that level. Yeah. Um, I want to mention another criticism of this book um, that I've seen mentioned, uh, which is that it seems to completely lack any – um, reference or mention or inclusion of indigenous people. Um, and I think for a book set, like a Western style book set in the, the Southwest west of the United States, I think that's a major gap within this book. Um, and I think some degree of inclusion of that, I would have appreciated. And I think would have also helped flesh out the world slightly more as well.
1: So I would like to see this then, like, can we get the crossover between this book and the Rebecca Roanhorse, like, um, series? I forget what the series is called off the top of my head. The, the lightning.
0: Okay. <laughs> Megan is doing fandom hands is the only way I can describe it.
1: <laughs> yes. But I'm like, those two, like this story and those ones and a crossover, I think would be super cool. Yes. I think they would actually potentially even make a, a successful crossover, so.
0: Oh, I, man, yeah, I, I was just thinking, like, yeah, I would love, like, as I said, if there were, like, more novella installments in this world, but I was like, oh, what if, yeah, what if they were by different authors? And, and yeah, Rebecca Roe and Horace did, did one just talking about, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd love that. That would be great. Fresh
3: idea for free off the podcast. Please take it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I also love that we basically did the librarian's version of who would you cast this with, with which author would you cast to write another (laughs) installment of this? Oh, which other
0: authors do you want to write an installment of this?
1: Maybe it's just because we have I, – so I don't have a specific author, but maybe it's just because we have horror coming up as a genre that I kind of would love to see a horror, <laughs> like, set in this world. Mm-hmm. I would It would be interesting to see much of what was done here turned into that frame. I was
3: going to ask for, like, a Martha Wells crossover where there is, like, a Murderbot character in charge of the, like, the back end. For how the librarians are distributing approved and unapproved material,
2: Murderbot would be so mad with only having access to approved government material.
3: <laughs> That's why they're helping the the librarians collect or distribute other things. Any other crossover authors you would suggest in this world?
0: Um, I was thinking N.K. Jemisin, maybe for like uh, Amity backstory. Mm.
1: I'd like to see that exploration of the Northeast um, Mm -hmm. and Amity going to the Northeast and. Oh yeah. And or coming from there and like, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I feel like NK Jemison said like, what, what is New York city in this world? Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity
3: for the, for the, like the why of the dystopia, how it was in this post scarcity world, what happened and that like, Maybe it's some
1: Lovecraftian horror that happened. That would be fun. (laughs) All right. Do we have any other insightful?
2: Nothing insightful, but like a thing I thought up that I wanted to say um, is that I found this book. Like I said earlier, it's very written in reaction to the current American political situation, um, which is not something I really care to read about that much. Um, in part because I now live in a place where we get flyers in the mail from the like feed store giving us 10% off guns. And my ads on YouTube are for like chewing tobacco and things with horses in them. Yeah. It's more like these things make it hard for this to be home, and I don't want to read books about Mm -hmm. it as well.
1: Yeah. It hits too close to home in the way that this isn't a home that he has had to previously adjust around. And now that he is having to, this hits in a different sort of way. That it, it, like, I feel like for people who are in the middle of it and have been for a long time, there's actually a lot about this that feels inspiring. But if this is not where you have been in the middle of for a long time, instead of feels really frightening that this is, this is where we're finding like a potential inspiration opportunities out of this. It's like horrifying. Um, so I think it just hits differently depending on where you're coming from for it.
3: Thanks for listening to this episode of the book club for masochists. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, subscribe so you never miss an episode,
1: and consider giving us a positive rating and or review. For all our URLs and social media accounts, the 4 in our name is a numeral. You can go to our website at bookclub4m.com, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash bookclub4m, and find us on Instagram at bookclub4m. Our email address is bookclub 4 m at gmail.com.
2: On our website, you can find show notes that will provide links to things we mentioned, social media info for everyone who appeared on this episode, very varied social media info at this point, um, and genre-based book lists of titles by authors of color.
0: You can suggest a genre or title for us to read or request a recommendation from us. We have a form you can fill out at our website, bookclub 4 uh, No promises on reading your specific suggestion, but if you ask for a recommendation, we will give you one.
2: Also, no need- you do not need to recommend horse opera as a genre to us.
1: Double horse opera! Stagecoach Opera?
3: All opinions are our own and do not reflect our places of employment if they exist.
1: Our theme music is To Arrakis by Dark Sun from the Free Music Archive.
2: New episodes are on the first and third Tuesday of every month.
0: Join us again on Tuesday, October 3rd. Get ready for Halloween because we'll be talking about the genre of horror. And then on Tuesday, November 7th, we'll be discussing the nonfiction genre of crafts
3: and crafting, uh, which hopefully you will be working on for your exciting Halloween costumes.
2: (laughs) And that does mean that there will only be one episode in October.
3: Oh, no, the worst words.
0: (laughs) I feel like the name Sarah Gailey is very easy for me to remember because they write very gay books. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'll be right back. Ernest has puked.
1: Uh-oh. You know, I apologized in advance. In um, a few days ago, we were trying to decide what they were called now, if they were not tweets, and somebody said X-Files, and I was like, yes, I like that way better than what they decided. <laughs> They're like supposed to be Zets or something like that. And I was like, no, uh, these are X-Files. <laughs>
2: Anyway, okay, puke is solved.
1: Puke is cleaned up.
2: Okay, you just threw a towel on top of it? That's it's out of sight. I,
0: I wiped it up a little because it was on carpet. If it was on hardwood floor, I would just throw a paper towel on it and deal with it later. But Yeah. And yeah. he puked again.
1: Oh. Well,
2: that's, that's the outro. <laughs>